Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while. Okay, it is midnight. Summary time. Let's go. Engage. Go. Wow, that's that's a lot of pressure. No, no pressure. You're putting me on the spotlight here. I, on the spotlight or on the spot? Uh, on the spotlight? I mean, I always thought it was on the spot. I think I'm making up my own expression. I think here. you are a little bit. That, that, I, I'm usually the one that does that. Well, that's my thing. Stop taking my things. Last week you took my, you took my outro, and this week you're taking my my mannerisms. Saying things incorrectly is your mannerism. Yes, exactly. So midnight summary. Let's go. Engage. Go. Are you excited for the summary episode? Yes, very much so. The summary episode is fun. Is it? Yeah. Why I think p- part of part of the fun is the challenge of trying to 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 condense every single chapter down to a single sentence. I think I'm going to make you do that this time because I've consolidated it into full paragraphs. Yeah, yeah, just you, you just way too much information. Too long, didn't read. <laughs> Are you like covening me from the office? One day when we president, they see. Mm. Why say many thing when few words when few do thing trick. do trick? I mean, it's a good question. Maybe mm-hmm. one for the ages. It might be one for the ages. I mean, it certainly worked for some politicians. I'm exhausted after last week. Are you exhausted? I'm after pretty last exhausted week? after last week. It was like an election week. I didn't yeah. really yep. count on that. Welcome to Tuesday, part four. <laughs> it only was really over like Saturday. Saturday. Yes, Saturday. We're all like, wake me up when this election ends. Wake me up when this election ends. But we didn't come here to talk politics, thankfully. No, thank- thankfully. We we come here to, to kind of get away from politics a little bit. Mostly. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of gets dragged into the into the topics and into the story sometimes. But I mean, we don't want to be like Geralt. We don't want to be so neutral that we don't have an opinion in the course of that end up having to make a bad choice Mm -hmm. yep because sometimes not making a choice is making a choice okay chapter five you're just making that up that's from the last book yeah i know it was chapter five i don't think it was chapter five it was somewhere in there you're just making up chapters now you just also technically technically they don't have chapters so i mean this is what you do you just play fast and loose with the rules of the Witcher universe, and I'm here to tell you, you can't do that. I am a loose cannon, but I am the best damn reader guy that the Witcher universe has. Sure. Bless your heart. <laughs> hey, I've spent enough time in the South now to know what that means. Mm, yeah, you remind everyone of that every five seconds. I don't. It's well, like every 10 if it's seconds. it's not reminding people that you're from New York, then it's yeah, reminding true. people that you spent time in the South. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been, it, it has been at least a good 10 minutes since I've told anyone that I was from New York, so. Okay, do you want to tell them then? D- did you guys know I was from New York? Great. Okay, now that we've got that out of our system. Oh, hey, uh, by the way, guys, um, I grew up in New York, so. In the city, right? 
No. No. Where else is there? <laughs> now that your head's about to explode. <laughs> Let's get into talking about Sword of Destiny. We are done with Sword of Destiny. And mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little bittersweet to leave this book behind. Mm-hmm. It's a really good one. It is a good one. I feel really bittersweet to leave Sword of Destiny behind. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, it's 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 a really fun one because it really in- starts to introduce, like, the, the main overarching plot. Um, we, we start getting a little bit more revelation as to where that's mm-hmm. going. We start getting engaged with characters that we know will be around for, you know, a very long time kind of thing. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of just the start of the investment of, like, the whole journey kind of thing. Yeah, and it really builds on The Last Wish and getting like to know the world and the characters a little better Mm -hmm. Um, because you see these like really dramatic um, interpersonal dynamics play out between Yennefer and Geralt, Mm -hmm. Geralt and Ciri, Geralt and Dandelion even like all of these really character building stories like help us um, prepare for the saga, the Witcher saga Mm -hmm. of books one through five. The Witcher saga. Yeah, that's what we call books one through five. Oh, yeah, that, that is kind of what a saga is, isn't it? Starting with Blood of Elves, which we will start covering next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you excited for Blood of Elves? I, I am excited. Um, I'm excited to see some Siri training. Um, and I forget what else I'm excited for, but there's other things I'm excited for. Compelling. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm... <laughs> Such a riveting human being. I mean, you just have like amazing takeaways. I'm mm-hmm. like, how how could he have gotten that? Have you considered that in a sporting event, the team that scores the most points is generally going to win? No. No? It's, it's an amazing thing to me that many people don't realize that. You have like a golf commentator voice on now. Oh, well, I mean, let's see how that works out for him. See how that plays out. Bold, a bold strategy. But before we move on to Blood of Elves, we need to thoroughly absorb the information, the development, the characters, the drama mm-hmm. that Sword of Destiny gave us. And yeah. I think the best way to do that is first, John Mark, you're going to give us your one sentence yes. summary of yes. each chapter. And then I'm going to do what I do best. Mm-hmm. And drag things out and go through things painstakingly, painstakingly slowly. Well, it's not painstakingly slowly. It's it's extensive. Look, I I like to be detailed. I like to be thorough. It's my journalism training. Um, but this is why we have editors. We need to be mm-hmm. concise, right? We should probably hire someone else because when you say we have editors, it's you're, me. You're it's you. <laughs> But who else could do it better than me? That is correct. That is correct. So, and you do an amazing job, honey. Thank you. Okay. So, I don't want to be nice to each other, though. Yeah, I don't think people come here for that. No, we, I come, think, to, we come here to argue. I think, I think the sarcastic derision is usually what, <laughs> usually what people come for. So, okay. Uh, shoot me a, shoot me chapter titles, and I will give my patented one sentence chapter summary. Do you even remember all the chapters? Not really. Okay. <laughs> this will be interesting. Uh, hit me. 
Hit me with chapter titles. Let's do this. All right. Just to make things easier on you, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be throwing out random chapters. Well, I'm yeah, going to go I, in order. Yeah, I was going to say, we got to go in order. because That would it won't be make... fun, though, to throw out random I, ones and see mm. if you could guess. Yeah, but I don't think that would be as enjoyable for the audience. So, <laughs> Okay. The Bounds of Reason. Bounds of Reason. Um, Golden Dragon. Was that in this book? Yes. <laughs> Wait, I, I, We're I, off to such a great start. I know. It was an amazing oh. start. I could have sworn that was in the last book. No. Okay. Uh, Bounds of Reason. So uh, they fight a giant dragon. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of dudes that want to cram poison into a sheep uh, and then launch it at the dragon. I don't think that's the most important plot point, but moving on. Uh, they Geralt meets Yen. Okay. Mm-hmm. A shard of ice. Oh, shard of ice. Uh, Yen is two-timing. Uh, both of them find out. Drama ensues, and Geralt gets his feelings hurt. Yeah, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Eternal flame. Do you need hints? I do need hints for that one. I don't remember that one. There is a halfling and a Doppler. Oh, God, yeah. Okay. Um, mercantile shenanigans with creatures that shapeshift. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. A little sacrifice. Uh, I'm going to try not to be really vulgar with this one. Um, local regional ruler wants to get freaky with fish lady. Sure. Geralt and Dandelion discover the lost city of Atlantis. Yeah, that, that works. Mm-hmm. Sword of destiny. Uh, Siri and Geralt wind up in the forbidden forest. Um, don't find Hagrid. Uh, but get shot at with like bows and arrows anyways. Cool. Mm-hmm. Something more. Um, Geralt runs away from destiny. Uh, things go sideways. A bunch of cities get burned. Um, Geralt meets back up with Siri after running away from her at the end of the last chapter. That was a little more than one sentence, but I'll give it to you. Okay. So how did you how did you like my my summaries? Well, you forgot some of them. So I, I, I did forget them. I can't I, give I you never, an A plus or anything. But. I know I I'm really bad with like I I view titles the way I view like or well I don't want to say I view them. My brain does the thing with titles that it does with names like people's names and it just just does not intake them in any way. Um, it's just like. I hear the title of a chapter and I just, just like, it, it just, it, there's a ringing noise for a few minutes. <laughs> uh, everything kind of goes blank for a little while and my, my brain just does not intake that information. Mm. I, I'm usually good with the plot though. Like, you know, as soon as you, as soon as you, you give me a couple of like ideas on what the plot was, I can, I can, I can get there. But well, a pro tip with the short stories is that, the name will be brought up again and again. Yeah, yeah. They do so, they do like to to bring up the the name. We do have, you know, chapter name in in the in the short stories, so. That does go away with our saga books because mm-hmm. they're just chapter 1, chapter 2. Mm-hmm. These are short stories, so there's a theme and it's very much like every title means a lot to the actual plot of the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to 
take my lengthy approach to describing okay. the summaries without wasting too much time. But I think it's important that we get a little context. I still context. think mercantile shenanigans with uh, shapeshifters. It's true. <laughs> but but let's give a little context, right? It's yeah. content plus context, right? Okay. I suppose. I suppose. I think I've been just watching too many things for work recently. <laughs> I'm just regurgitating like, a lot of terms I've heard. Anyway, so we begin sort of destiny with the bounds of reason, which of course is a story about Geralt meeting a mysterious man named Three Jackdaws, mm -hmm. going to a tavern, having a freaky threesome mm -hmm. with some Zaracanian girls. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's not really a threesome. It's a foursome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I, I don't want to think about it too much. Yeah. Um, Three Jackdaws invites Geralt on a trip where they're mm -hmm. going to hunt a golden dragon, which mm -hmm. Geralt emphatically says doesn't exist. Spoiler mm -hmm. alert, it turns out it does. Mm -hmm. Maybe not in the way that he would expect, though. So they go on a hunting party. Um, who else does Geralt run into but Yennefer? Mm -hmm. Yennefer is there along with another sorcerer named Dora Gray, who is kind of a conservationist. Mm -hmm. Um so everyone has their own agenda about what they want to do with this golden dragon. So um, Yennefer wants to use it as payment for maybe a cure for infertility. Dora Gray mm -hmm. doesn't want to kill the dragon at all. Mm -hmm. There are dwarves um, led by Yarpin Zegrin. Mm -hmm. um, there's reavers. One is named Mercenary Bohold. dudes. They don't really show up too much. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they launch this party to find the golden dragon. Eventually, they do find the golden dragon after a really bad accident causes them to crash and a lot of people to die. Mm -hmm. Three jackdaws kind of disappears. Um, then the golden dragon they find in this cairn. Mm -hmm. And the knight of the group, the paladin of the group, mm -hmm. decides to attack first. Mm -hmm. he, he gets got mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty badly. He doesn't die, but... Pretty much might he, as well he, be dead. He gets got. Um, and then Geralt, Yennefer, Dor Gray get tied up in the struggle for power. And the dwarves, led by Yarpin Zegrin and Boholt and the Reavers, um, go after the Golden Dragon, get got as well. Mm -hmm. Not all of them die because Yarpin Zegrin will show up again. Um, but basically, the Golden Dragon easily defeats all of them. Mm -hmm. Yennefer, Dor Grey, and Geralt get in on the fight. Um, they end up defeating all of the people from the town that had come with them. Mm -hmm. um, you mm -hmm. mentioned the poison sheep guy. Yep, he shows up with guy. some reinforcements. Mm -hmm. Basically, Yennefer does some silly spells. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, they find out the golden dragon is none other than bump and a bum. Three jackdaws. Three jackdaws. Yeah. Three jackdaws, when he turns back into his man form, mm -hmm. um, tells Geralt and Yennefer, I can see how much you care about each other. I can see there's destiny between you. Um, however, nothing will come of it. Mm -hmm. You may have been made for each other, but nothing will come of this. Mm -hmm. And Yennefer says, I know. The theme of this, um, which comes up again and again, is what are the bounds of reason in this world? Mm -hmm. um, what is myth? What is fact? Mm -hmm. And how can you really know for a fact that something is not real? Mm. Geralt, who is a professional monster slayer, is so sure that a golden dragon doesn't exist. But mm -hmm. turns out, Here we they are. do. Yeah. So let's move on to a shard vice. Mm -hmm. 
A shard advice is about Yennefer and Geralt sometime after the events of the Bounds of Reason are traveling mm-hmm. together. Uh, they're staying in this small village named Aidgenvale. Mm-hmm. Aidgenvale literally means a shard of ice. Hmm. Um, Yennefer tells Geralt after he fights a Zugal, which is literally a sentient trash heap. Yep, trash um, monster. Yep, yep. That Aidgenvale is named after the Ice Queen who basically goes around and gets people to follow her by like shooting some shards of ice into their heart. Mm-hmm. Um Geralt, who really doesn't like the town they're in and really wants to go, mm-hmm. um, finds out that Yennefer has been hanging out with this guy named Eastrid, who mm-hmm. is a wizard who mm-hmm. she has known. She goes way back with yep. and turns out that she's sleeping with both of them. Mm-hmm. They decide very maturely that the only thing they can do is fight to the death. Yeah, yeah. You know, the that, only mature option yeah, is death. That's obviously, obviously, the only option at that point is fight to the death. Geralt gets really... I don't know why they considered anything else up until then. After they decide to fight to the death, which they both think is very reasonable, Mm -hmm. um, Geralt goes to get blackout drunk, um, gets Mm -hmm. beat up... Also reasonable. Gets beat up in an alley, Mm -hmm. and the guys find out that he's a witcher and Mm -hmm. are like, don't try to commit suicide by basically going outside with no protection. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the next morning, he wakes up in the stables. Rough night for Geralt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Geralt goes to meet Eastred, um, and he finds Eastred with a black kestrel on his shoulder. Earlier in the story, Yennefer had created two black kestrels. Um, one she actually created out of Geralt. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the kestrels was sitting on Eastred's shoulder. Right mm-hmm. away, Geralt knows something's up, and he's like, "It looks like you have a message. What's the message?" Turns out it's a breakup note from mm-hmm. Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Geralt's like, look, I'm not going to kill you. If you want to commit suicide, don't do it by my hand, basically. Mm-hmm. And he runs back to find the breakup note that he knows is awaiting him. Mm-hmm. The theme of this basically is loving someone sometimes isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we hurt the people we love. Yep. That is the uh, sort of... Unfortunately, the motto of Yennefer and Geralt's relationship to, th- to this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He hurts her. She hurts him. Mm-hmm. But this is something that's kind of unforgivable in a way. Yeah. Yep. So we move on to Eternal Flame, which is kind of our palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just a zany buddy comedy. Basically, Geralt goes to buy a post-breakup outfit, a leather jacket, and mm-hmm. Novigrad. Novigrad is a big city. It's like the New York City of the continent. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the southern part, but it's a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, Geralt runs into Dandelion, who is being kicked out of his girlfriend's house for mm-hmm. being unfaithful. Uh, Dandelion doesn't seem too upset about this as long as he's recovered his loot. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, let's go to a pub, start drinking for the evening. Yeah, um, It's like, 12 but that's fine Mm -hmm. um and they go to a tavern they meet a halfling merchant whose name is dainty by um dainty by seems fine until an exact replica of him shows up in the doorway Mm -hmm. and suddenly things get very interesting in a jerry springer way when Mm -hmm. one halfling attacks the other Mm -hmm. one halfling is very dirty they find out um, after Geralt finds one in silver chains that 
the one they were sitting with initially is a Doppler, which is a shape-shifting creature mm. in the Witcher universe. Turns out the halfling had um, been got. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He had been jumped by the Doppler, and the Doppler had made the most of his time, sold all of his horses, and made lucrative investments in Mm -hmm. his name. Very lucrative investments in his name. It didn't sound like they were that lucrative at the time, Mm -hmm. but he was basically able to use intelligence and all the data that he had gotten along the way Mm -hmm. to buy up products that there was going to be a run on in the near future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) there's also a subplot with Geralt... Dainty by Brevelt the Halfling and Dandelion meeting with the bishop, the high-ranking mm-hmm. member of the Order of the Eternal Flame, which is a very um, major religious sect in the mm-hmm. continent at this time. Um, they are warned by this bishop or this high-ranking official that, look, I wouldn't go around saying that you saw a Doppler because that wouldn't end well for you or me, Mm -hmm. wink, wink, or I might have to use some force. So basically, um, at the end, all's well that ends well, Mm -hmm. turns out that the Doppler as Dainty made a tidy sum, Mm -hmm. one that he's sort of willing to split in a deal with Mm -hmm. the halfling. Um, and Dopplers end up being pretty good people. They're just doing what they have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think the theme of this is identity theft's not a joke, Jim. <laughs> but also, it turns out that appearances can be deceiving. Even creatures that we view as monsters can be good. Mm-hmm. Just matters that we look mm-hmm. inside, deep inside. Mm-hmm. A Little Sacrifice is a story about Dandelion and Geralt are broke in mm-hmm. another big city. Um, wasn't, that, wasn't that how the last one opened as well? Well, this is further down. And <laughs> they're just more broken in a different they're more, city. They're more broke. Um, we'll put it that way. Geralt has taken a job trying to interpret for a wealthy duke who mm-hmm. has been trying to broker some sort of deal with a mermaid mm-hmm. to live together on the surface. The mermaid wants him to come down and be with her, get gills, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, He wants her to get legs, which she thinks is repulsive. Anyway, this duke is a bit of a dick and is not going to pay Geralt unless he gets results, which is kind of ridiculous. But whatever, we hate capitalists. Anyway, so Geralt and Dandelion are lamenting about their circumstances when a wealthy man invites Dandelion to be the second bard at a wedding, Mm -hmm. um, his daughter's Mm -hmm. wedding, in fact. Um, Dandelion is insulted that someone would ask him to be the second bard. How dare they? However, they're really hungry and Geralt's like, hey, if you do this for me, I'll take the next job that comes my way and no questions asked. Yep. Yep. Those words will come back to bite him, but (laughs) we'll focus on that for now. They go to the wedding. It turns out the, um, first bard performing is Essie Davin, also known as Little Eye. Yep. Very pretty girl. Um, ends up being a really good friend with Dandelion. Mm. Um, they've known each other for years. Geralt and her get off to sort of a weird start, but it turns out it's just sort mm. of a mutual attraction between them. Geralt mm-hmm. wants to kiss her. She mm-hmm. rejects him. And anyway, so that kind of ends awkwardly, but kind of okay. Mm. Um, they end up, um, 
he meets Essie the next day. She tells him a little bit about um, like when he was at the wedding, he got a job to um, investigate for the same Duke who wants to get with the mermaid. Um, there was a he actually owns a bit of land and one of the big lucrative exports on that strip of land is pearl diving mm-hmm. and a ship for his pearl divers um, ended up kind of not coming home one day mm. and they found out that there were no survivors basically mm. the whole thing was just bloody corpses and so he's like look no one i can't get any of my sailors or any of my pearl divers to go out i need you to figure out what happened kill it and then i'll give you money mm-hmm. and dandelion's like hey remember that time when you told me that you would take you any said job? you would do any job well the time has come mm-hmm. so this is any job Payback. And mm-hmm. so Essie and Geralt end up um, meeting up early that morning when Geralt was about to meet the head pearl diver about the job. No mm-hmm. one will take him out to the reef because it's pretty scary. No yep. one wants to be yep. caught with whatever killed all of those people. Yep. I wouldn't and either. Essie is sort of like, I can do both things. Yeah. And Geralt's like, no, don't talk about it. I'm not going to let you do that because I don't want you to be in danger for me mm-hmm. blah 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 it's very Geralt like yep, yep um and anyway Geralt has an epiphany somewhere along the line um he realizes that the tide is really really um it goes far back mm-hmm. so at low tide he could actually go all the way out there and then wade to mm-hmm. the um the reef yep the extra 100 feet or so so later that night, Dandelion and him venture out. Dandelion insisted on coming with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to get some fodder for his ballads and also to pick up a um, birthday present for Essie, who yeah, is his yeah. friend. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Dandelion's a toddler the whole time, getting distracted by shiny things. <laughs> Geralt is um, trying to figure out everything and still keeping Dandelion in check. So they reach the reef. And they see these steps that seem to go down into mm-hmm. nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually all these pretty blue shells. And Dandelion's like, ooh, ooh look, pretty, a shiny Pretty thing. shell. All of a sudden, they hear this alarm out of nowhere. And they're like, oh, shit. And then Geralt sees these fish-like creatures with mm-hmm. what I envision are arms and legs coming out of nowhere mm-hmm. with maces. Yep. And they don't seem to, like, there's not an end to them in sight. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even though Geralt's able to get like a few, there's, there's so a lot many of them, them coming. Yep. So anyway, at the same time, the tide's starting to rise. And so Geralt and Dantine get really close to actually dying. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, throughout this, Geralt is constantly thinking about Yennefer. Yep. And this is a point of I comparison. Um, when he's about to die, he's actually like, look, if I live, I'm going to ride straight to Dungerberg and see if this can work out. And then he's like, actually, no, not going to do that. That's stupid. Um, so, um, they survive thanks in part to the mermaid who is actually Mm -hmm. pretty fond of Geralt at this point. Mm -hmm. She says, look, the sea is not for you. Stay out of the sea. You're never going to win. Mm -hmm. We're never really given any explanation as to what the sea steps are or what the fish people are. No, I do want to know though. Like I really really want to know. It's just, you know, I know the sea is not for you, John Mark. Okay. The sea is not for you. That's why you don't go out to sea. That's true. (laughs) So, um, the next day, 
Essie and Geralt get into a situation where it turns out Essie is in love with Geralt. Geralt's not about Aww. that. He tries to let her yeah. down easy. Um, also, they um, before Dandelion had left for the day, he had given Essie this blue shell, which she's like, oh, thanks for this meaningless gift. Yeah, and it then, smells really bad, too. Um, it turns out when they open it, it's a blue pearl. Mm-hmm. And so all the time when um, Essie's confessing our feelings for him, he's like, look, we could do this really pretty thing with a blue pearl. Mm-hmm. It's his way of trying to couch the rejection. Um, <laughs> he realizes, so throughout this, he's like, I can't sacrifice what she needs. I don't have any emotional bandwidth. I can't sacrifice it. I feel bad if this is the way that I make Yennefer feel. So mm-hmm. all the time he's thinking, she's not Yennefer. She will never be Yennefer, and that's the problem. Yep, yep. So um, the next day, they go to the Duke. They tell him, look, there is nothing that can be done. We would be, if you were to go after whatever is causing this, it would be an all-out war with the ocean. Mm. He's like, so cool. be it. let's do it. Um, anyway, the Little Mermaid. War with ocean, let's go. The Little Mermaid comes up the steps, turns out mm. that she's traded her fins for legs, and the Duke completely abandons his um, water world fixation mm-hmm. and his uh, ocean war concept and decides, hey, maybe let bygones be got bygones and I don't need pearls that badly, do I? Anyway, so... But war with the ocean does sound, always sounds like a good idea. In an epilogue... Um, Geralt, Dandelion, and Essie embark on this little trip outside mm-hmm. of the city. Um, Dandelion's like, I really can't take you guys. Just like mm-hmm. awkward silence anymore. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to just do it. Mm-hmm. And so Essie and Geralt do it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they part for good. Moment of silence for our girl mm-hmm. Essie. Mm-hmm. She dies mm. less than like four years later. Yep. Of disease. But you know what? She shined brightly mm-hmm. while she was here. So pour one out for Essie. Mm-hmm. Um, the theme of this is really that love requires sacrifice. And sometimes you're not willing to give the sacrifice yep. that the sacrifice is needed. that's needed. Um, and unfortunately, and this is <laughs> really the hard part about life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the people that deserve a happy ending the most don't, don't get, get it. one. Yep. And sometimes the people that don't deserve a happy ending get one. Yep. But Essie certainly deserved a happy ending. So, mm-hmm. so sort of destiny, our um, namesake title, mm-hmm. very important. Geralt is entering Brokelon. Brokelon mm-hmm. is a forest that has not been um, civilized basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he notices that there are corpses strewn about, there are arrows in their heads. He has been here before, but he knows it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, he ends up getting surrounded, um, by some of the Brokelon warriors who mm-hmm. are very talented with an arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and not before he meets his friend Frexinet who is a big burly man who says that he's looking for a princess and he's like, don't worry about saving me because he's been shot with an arrow. He tells Geralt, just worry about saving the princess. And then Mm -hmm. Geralt's like, what princess? Yeah. Yeah. Before they get surrounded and uh, Geralt's like in the elven speech or the elven dialect of um, 
of Brokilon, mm. whatever it is they speak. Um, he introduces himself as Gwynblade, which means white wolf. Ah, mm-hmm. So he has a history here. He has a history here. And basically the dryads, which is the the names of the women in Brokilon, kind of the race, so to speak. Um, One of them is going to escort Geralt to the capital, Mm -hmm. um, Duen Canal. Basically, he goes on a journey with her. Turns out she's not full dryad. She's human who Mm -hmm. um, in Brokilon... They often don't have enough reproduction to keep pace with the dryads that they lose. So mm-hmm. they have to sort of replace them along the way. Yep. That is the only way. Like witchers, they can't just make more of them. As Even though they can reproduce, they can't make them quickly enough. Yeah. So, yep. And it's a big, long process to become one, et cetera, et cetera. And not all of them survive. Yep. Um, it's also pretty like rough out there for dryads. Mm-hmm. Um, so along the way, they stumble across a small creature who is being cornered by a giant centipede. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up saving her. It turns out her name is Cirilla. She is a princess mm-hmm. and Geralt doesn't really put two and two together, or at least he acts like he doesn't mm-hmm. for the course of the story. But nevertheless, um, they find out that Siri um, has run away from a neighboring kingdom in Verdon. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to marry the prince. And in fact, she doesn't want to marry anyone. Yep, She's yep. a very rambunctious, spirited child. Geralt and Siri get along right away. He loves her instantly. And they have very heartwarming scenes together. Mm-hmm. Um, he even tells a story about a cat and a fox. Mm-hmm. Um, it's adorable. It's very adorable. Um, as we know, little witchers and little dryads don't get stories. <laughs> And that's why this was so charming mm-hmm. because it does speak to that inner child in all of us, mm-hmm. even the kids who had a little neglect. Mm-hmm. That's a little neglect, though. It makes us stronger. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they continue on their journey to Duane Canal. Mm-hmm. Um, they blindfold Geralt because they don't want him to know the location, but they do not blind Siri. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to meet with the leader, Ethne. Ethne tells Geralt, basically, you know the rules. You know how it works here. Mm-hmm. The little girl stays with us. This is how it yep. works. She belongs to us now. And Geralt's like, that's really too bad, like, because we were really getting along, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Geralt delivers the message to Ethne that he meant to all along, which is that a neighboring prince or a neighboring king wants to take a little bit of broke lawn's land in exchange for some other land that he's willing to part with. Mm-hmm. Ethne's like, already knows all of what he's going to say because this is what people have been doing forever. She's like, you give humans an inch, they take a mile. I'm not willing to negotiate. Mm -hmm. I have no answer. If anyone ever comes to me again, they can just listen into the winds of broke lawn because that's my answer. Mm -hmm. Um, Geralt also says like, look at me, I need to get this girl home. Like Mm -hmm. she's a princess. She's going to be lost. It's going to draw more attention to broke lawn. And Ethne gets really emotional and she's like, look, you knew my daughter. You couldn't get my daughter pregnant. And my daughter died, basically. Mm-hmm. And I kind of blame you, yep. though I'm not really sure how Geralt's at fault, but whatever. Uh, her daughter died. Siri came along. Look, you brought me a child to replace the one I lost. Same, same. Exchange. Um, <laughs> even even trade. <laughs> and so um, the non the human turned dryad um, mm. brings the waters of Broke Lawn um, for Siri to drink. Mm. This is the kind of poison that purges their memories and mm-hmm. makes them into dryads. Mm. 
Siri drinks and doesn't seem to be affected. And Ethne is yeah. like, well, the choice is yours. Do you want to remain here in Brokelon where it's nice and you'll have fun? Or do you want to go with the scary mm-hmm. looking man with cat <laughs> eyes? Your choice. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an easy choice to make here. Um, and it turns out that Siri wants to go with Geralt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, Ethne leaves. She's very, very upset. Um Geralt turns to the human slash dryad that he was escorted by in the forest. And he's mm-hmm. like, thanks so much. You brought a decoy. Like, I, I don't know how to pay you back. And mm-hmm. she's like, you dare insult me by thinking I would betray the dryads like this? Here, take a sip yourself. And Geralt's like, don't mind if I do. And mm-hmm. immediately passes the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Has a vivid hallucination, mm-hmm. as Geralt does want to do. Yep. Um, of everyone basically saying you're trying to run away from your destiny. He sees a mm-hmm. lot of people here. He sees Pavetta. Why does Pavetta look so familiar to him? Hmm. Like, hmm. He sees Kalanthe. Hmm. Kalanthe is saying, you hmm. dare shark destiny. And finally, he hears, you know, this whole legend of the, the blade of destiny has two swords. Mm-hmm. You are one. What's the other one? Yep. And until this point, Geralt has maintained the other side is death, but actually the other edge is Ciri. And basically, you have to accept that. Mm -hmm. But Geralt is still not ready, as we will see. Um, The next morning after the hallucination, he and Ciri wake up in some remote part of the forest. Mm -hmm. And like Geralt's like, I don't know where I am. And Ciri's like, oh, hey, I know the way. And Geralt's like, what and uh she touches his medallion it actually like jumps up Mm -hmm. he knows there's some magic associated with it but isn't really sure what um and so siri leads him to the path um they start Mm -hmm. going the way towards um a country that had i think it's bruges they start going toward bruges which is Mm -hmm. the country that had hired Geralt as an envoy to Mm brokelon yep and uh Siri's like, this is a bad way. And he's like, Well, the other way is back to Verdon where you ran away from. You don't really want to go there, do you? And Siri's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I just have a bad feeling. Turns out there's a lot of men on the road in front of them. Yep. Um yep. a cart and a couple of dead bodies are strewn next to it. And mm-hmm. Carol's like, Hey, what's going on here? And they're like, Oh, we just came upon this. I think it was the eerie wives or the yeah, the dryads yeah. who had done this and Siri steps up and she's like, the dryads would never do dryads this. Dryads don't do this. Uh, dryads would never hurt a tree. They don't, they don't cut trees down. And so they are attacked by these mercenaries um, who are dressed up in clothing mm-hmm. that resembles the men of Verdon. Mm-hmm. And um, they are, Geralt takes care of most of them, but they are assisted by a magic wall of forest that kind of shows up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. weirdly in the path blocking them mm-hmm. um and a couple of dryads from brokelon are there too sort of providing backup mm-hmm. turns mm-hmm. out that um they were assisted by mausak who is a druid and yep. also yep. um is the guy that we met way back in a question of price mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. who was um from skellige and ended up being pavetta in series teacher yep um Malsack is like, hey, let's get on the road. And they end up riding. Later, Geralt and Malsack are having a discussion about, okay, like the girl has to go with you. Like it's, she's the child of destiny 
And mm. I'm prepared to basically fall on my sword and tell Kalante that I was the one that like you guys go. Yeah. Yep. And girl's like, nope, not ready. And basically to go with me, it means that death follows me the whole way. I've got to go. And he mm. rides off Siri calling after him. It's a oh, really heartbreaking no. yeah. end. It's very sad. So the theme of this is you can't run away from destiny, but you sure can try. You can try. You can certainly try. <laughs> nice try, Geralt. At least you tried. Something more. The final chapter mm -hmm. is about Geralt getting into a dumb <laughs> brawl. Um, he's in this kind of bad part of the forest. Mm -hmm. He sees a guy under the cart. The guy's name is Yurga. And Yurga is trapped. Geralt mm -hmm. is like, hey, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. And like, you got to get out of here. And Yurga's like, well, I can't leave my cart. And Geralt's like, all right, well, I don't think I can get you both out of here. And Yurga's like, please, I'll give you anything. Mm -hmm. And Geralt's like, anything? anything? And is like, oh, shit, I just promised a witcher anything. <laughs> Ends up having to promise the law of surprise. Mm -hmm. And yep. Geralt's like, cool, I'm going to take care of this for you. So he goes out, fights a lot of harpies, and ends up getting seriously injured. Passes mm -hmm. out right in front mm -hmm. of Yurga. Yurga's a good guy, as we will find out. He takes Geralt on his cart and mm -hmm. wheels him back home, where he's from, to Sodom. Geralt is burning with fever. Mm -hmm. His leg is really injured and swollen. Um, he asks Yurga to get out this flask. Yep. It turns out yep. it's full of this black gull as we'll find out which mm -hmm. is a hallucinogen yeah so yep. Geralt just trips balls this whole time yep. he has a lot, a lot of that in this book he has a hallucination of him meeting Yennefer during the celebration of Beltane um, they have a discussion about like basically we are an affront to nature because mm -hmm. we are mutants and we actually can't do the thing that most of nature wants us to do which is reproduce yep yep um, they kind of talk a lot about their relationship they mm -hmm. talk about um yen says i've hurt you it mm -hmm. is kind of reckoning with everything that's happened so far yeah yeah um then he has a hallucination about Kalante, where this mm -hmm. is a alternate history or alternate take where six years after um Geralt promised to get the mm -hmm. child of destiny he shows back up in sintra yep yep and he sees like 10 children running around. He constantly is talking about, okay, where is Siri's son? Mm -hmm. Or he's constantly like, where is Pavetta's son? Uh, Malsak is like, well, Kalante ordered me to kill him mm -hmm. if I told you. Um, he, she basically wanted to cheat you out of the child of destiny. Yep. Yep. So, um, Geralt has a conversation with Kalante where they talk about a lot of things, actually. Mm -hmm. They talk about Geralt's mom. Turns out Geralt's yeah. mom is a sorceress. They talk about um, Geralt refuses to guess among the children that mm -hmm. are out there playing because he guesses correctly that Bavetta's yep. son is not among them. He also says, like, how did... Um, I think he actually asked Malsak this. He's like, how did Pavetta and Dooney die? Ciri's mom and dad. And it turns out they died on a ship yep. coming back from Sintra to Skellige. So he learns out, he finds out some really interesting things in this chapter that can't really be accounted to as subconscious purely. Mm -hmm. um, 
basically he leaves it by saying, I know you really don't want me to take the child. So I'm not going to take the child. Mm. I'm going to leave you with the child. Um, and I, and like Kalante is like, well, if you ever change your mind, come back. Mm-hmm. Also, I fear this is going to be the last time we see each other. Mm, ominous. So, um, Geralt wakes up. He's being treated by a woman with fiery red hair. It turns mm. out she's a sorceress and a healer. Um, mm. The whole time he's kind of like, there's something that I really don't want her to find out. I don't want mm-hmm. her to read my mind because mm-hmm. I think she's going to find out. Um, it turns out that this is Geralt's mom and Geralt's yeah. mom has reunited with him to make sure that he's okay and to heal him. It's a bittersweet moment for Geralt because mm. he sees that his mom is actually a decent person. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, he wants to ask her a question in the daylight. She says there's no point. So basically uh, she puts Geralt to sleep and uh, that's about it. Then um, Geralt wakes up. They are in Sodden now. Yurga tells him that he's cut from the same cloth as that healer. He tells um, him that Vicenna, which is Geralt's mom's name, followed them for many miles just to make sure they were okay. Also, um, as we learned last chapter, um, she didn't accept any sort of payment from Geralt. So it's pretty Mm. clear that she just was there because she cared. Yeah. Um, he comes to know that there was a battle at Sodden that really wrecked the country for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he heard about these 14 sorceresses or these 14 sorcerers and sorceresses mm-hmm. who died at this battle of Sodden. And he sort of has this feeling that Yennefer was there and he's very worried that Yennefer might've been among those who had fallen he hears that Triss Marigold was one of the ones who died, one of the people that he actually knew, so he's kind of mm. freaked out. Um, they take a break, and he climbs the mountain to see this monument um, for the 14 who died at Sodden, and he reads the names, and before he's able to read all of the names, he comes face-to-face with death. Um, he says, you've dogged my footsteps, and mm. I'm not afraid of you anymore, and I also know who the 14th name on the stone is, it's Yennefer. And furthermore, just take me now because I don't want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. He wakes up and he's actually passed out at the foot of the monument. And Yorga's like, what are you doing up here? It's actually like super dangerous. And Geralt's like, I'm going to test your knowledge. Like what, if you know, like the people that died at Sodden and honor them. So what what is the 14th name? And Mm -hmm. it turns out it's not Yennefer. It's so she's presumably still alive. They run into Dandelion as they go further into Sodden. There's a bunch Mm -hmm. of people trying to cross the river and escape because it turns out the Nilfgaardians are marching towards them Mm -hmm. and they are just destroying everything in their path. It's a scorched earth policy Mm -hmm. and it's like no other war that they've ever seen before. Geralt runs into Dandelion. Um, He's really happy to see him. Dandelion's trying to flee as well. Mm -hmm. Um... Dandelion's trying to flee as well. And Geralt's like, I'm on my way to Sintra. Like, and Dandelion's like, well, there is no Sintra anymore. It completely fell. The Nilfgaardians took it. Mm-hmm. And Kalanthe died too. She actually committed suicide from the rafters because she didn't want to be captured by the Nilfgaardians. Mm-hmm. And Geralt's panicked and he's like, what about Kalanthe's granddaughter? What about Siri? Mm-hmm. And Dandelion's like, I assume that she's dead too. Everyone who was in the keep died. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so Geralt's like, okay, I'll try to escape with you because there's nothing for me on this side of the river. Mm-hmm. It's presumed that Geralt is going with Dandelion. However, the next chapter is Yurga reuniting with his wife. And it turns out that Geralt actually went with him. And mm. he's just kind of creepily hanging toward the back. Um, yeah. And so Yurga has this touching reunion with the wife. And mm-hmm. um, she says, you'll never believe what happened. It turns out that there was a little girl that was saved by the druids. And she's here. And can we keep her, please? And like a puppy. Um, Yurga's like, oh, shit. And out from the fields runs Siri toward Geralt. They mm-hmm. reunite in an embrace. Mm-hmm. And Siri's like, don't you get it? I'm your destiny. And Geralt's like, you're so much more. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. And the theme Scene. of something more is that something more is needed than just destiny. Mm-hmm. Destiny is great on its own, but there has to be choice. It has to be combined with choice. So we're really set up for the next installment. Mm-hmm. We know that the Nilfgaardian forces are marching north mm-hmm. with increasing speed. And we also know that Siri and Geralt are going to be together. Which is a great way to, to finish the, uh, the story. Um, one of the things that we, we did read ahead a little bit, obviously, because we're, we're starting work on the next, you know, the next episode is that it does kind of pick up right almost right where this one leaves off it's 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 not immediate but it's probably within a week or so yeah and how we're going to divide up blood of elves is not too different than what we've already been doing we're going Mm -hmm. to be doing it by chapter but if it's like a really long chapter dividing that into about 50 page increments for blood of elves that might end up being pretty lengthy because it's about 350 pages but Mm -hmm. we'll get through it yeah yeah and some of the chapters tend to be a little bit like hundred page long kind of thing. I think we're gonna we're gonna try and aim the the saga books around fifty pages per chapter or so. So, so what are what are your closing thought? What are, what are some of your thoughts immediately on on sort of destiny? I think this might be um, my favorite book just because mm-hmm. I mean all of the books are great. But I think the stories here really introduce us to the character dynamics a little bit better. The Last mm-hmm. Wish is an introduction. Sort of Destiny is building upon all those relationships. Yep. And you yep. can't really ask for more than learning more about Geralt and Yennefer, about Geralt and Dandelion, Geralt and Siri. I think that when you look at the Witcher TV show, even though I still really like it, um, mm-hmm. I'm glad I watched it first because this gives you so much more context yeah. in retrospect. You're not sort of comparing the TV show to it. You're able to add what you know to their relationship already. And what you learn in season one is really nothing about their relationship. And mm-hmm. sort of Destiny, the short story, teaches you a lot about their dynamics and sort of the father-daughter relationship that develops automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, you really root for them and you see why there's so much at stake. Yeah. All of the dynamics feel very, very rushed uh, in the in the TV show um, because you don't have the, you know, necessarily the time that you have here to, to kind of stew in in the interplay of what's going on. But they also um, made a key choice, which I think I understand. Um, they cut out the portion of their meeting at Brokelon. They mm-hmm. have Siri go to Brokelon, but they don't have them meet at Brokelon. They end up basically having their first meeting being in that 
field after Geralt goes through his hallucination mm-hmm. and ends up in Yurga's backyard. So I think that it probably would be pretty hard to translate all of that dynamic into a TV show because basically you have only limited amount of time. So saying like, oh, they met and broke long, but now they're gone and now there's this yeah, completely yeah. new thing. I think that probably would have been a little confusing to translate. I see why they did that. That being said, it doesn't really give us as much of an introduction to the dynamics. And I think the book does a better, it makes a better case for why Geralt and Ciri bond so tightly. Yeah. And so they're, they're probably going to do away with like a lot of the theme of like running from your own destiny kind of thing. Um Probably because once, like you said, they don't we don't really have the time for it because, you know, it would take an entire episode of like Geralt and Siri meeting and then Geralt leaving Siri and then another episode of like uh, Siri making her way back to Geralt kind of thing. So I think it might be time for a nightcap. What were you thinking of drinking, though? Well, I mean, obviously, we always try and pair with with the show. Um, We try we try and pair, you know, the the episode with uh with what we're drinking but it's a summary and how could we pair drink with something as illustrious as sort of destiny well i think alexa you may have found uh almost the perfect drink for this or at least the perfect wine for this i should say Mm. um you found a wine called quest um it is a winemaker's reserve from i don't know what winery (laughs) Wow, that was an inspiring introduction. <laughs> Very inspiring. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, it is the Austin Hope Winery. Okay. okay, so on the front of the bottle, it says Austin Hope Winemaker, but it doesn't indicate that, that, that the name of the winery is the Austin Hope Winery as well, which makes sense. But um, So it's Quest by Austin Hope Winery. Um, it is from Paso Robales, California. I feel like uh, we've been drinking a lot of things from we Paso have Robles. been drinking <laughs> we have been drinking a lot of like napa valley california wines lately it hasn't been on purpose no if anything i've always been very snobby against like napa valley wine because it's everybody always is about Ooh, napa valley wine Ooh. i mean it's known around the world for a reason it is it is and it's really like i said it's it's more just we keep finding things from it that kind of work for what we're trying to do so so quest uh, it is a 2017 red wine. It is a blend of Cab Salve, Petit Verdot, Merlot, Petit Syrah, and Cab Franc. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of blends in here. Or Well, this is a big blend. Does it have any tasting notes? Let's see. No, but there's a very long note from the winemaker. Telling us his life story. Yeah, it is. There's like <laughs> okay. a there's like a paragraph on the front of the bottle. <laughs> it looks like a very good wine, but I like there's almost like way too much more. Like he, it's like one of those like recipes for guacamole from like uh, mm-hmm. websites in Every the in the early two thousands. No, recipe websites are still like that. They, they are still like that. Have, I know. Like, paragraphs and paragraphs talking about how this is my dead great aunt's recipe that was passed down. It yep. means a lot to me. And like I've kept it in a bottle for 20 years because Mm -hmm. I couldn't bear to part with it. But now I'm ready to share it with you. Yeah. Yes. And it's like Hellman's mayonnaise, three avocados and some salt. (laughs) And you're just like, okay, well, you didn't really need to give me an entire life story for, you know, your your basic white girl guacamole. I chose this um, because we've gone on a journey Mm -hmm. throughout sort of destiny 
Um, so much of our story is characters going on a journey, whether it is a literal journey or an emotional one, um, whether it is a hallucination mm-hmm. or Geralt's literally running away from destiny, which he is wont to do. Mm-hmm. He does like to do that a lot. Um, so I'm going to read this paragraph because oh it's a gosh. paragraph. We don't need to read the paragraph. Well, we should do an entire episode on the on the wine bottle tasting notes. <laughs> We'll do a whole episode. We'll do a summary for it. We'll pair something. We'll pair something with the wine, the wine story. I don't know if that's the peop- what the people want, Jomer. Okay, Quest is not bound by history, tradition, or norms of winemaking. It is a new wine that aims to express what can be produced in Paso Robales, our mountainous oak-studded maritime-influenced home. My father first brought us here in 1978, <sighs> seeing the potential to grow red varietals in Pasos. In Paso's varied landscape and soils. Since then, we've been exploring vineyard sites across the region, discovering the uniqueness of each one. Paso Robales is richer by the diversity of its land, so this wine is made equally distinct by its mix of grapes, a combination that is concentrated, soft, supple, and expressive. Signed, Austin Hope, winemaker. Thanks for that. Do, do you feel that you've grown as a person? Not really. Not really? Okay. But I did get to hear you struggle in saying um, peso robles. <laughs> okay, I can't even say it. Peso robles several times, and that was fun for me. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed my, my torment. Enjoy my pain. <laughs> you sounded like Jack Black just making up, like, names. Yeah, I mean, th- th- yeah. <laughs> peso <It's>, robles. <laughs> I've, also, I've also never, I've, like, here's a confession time. I have never been good at reading like in front of a class or like uh, reading to someone like I'm I'm really not good at it. Really? Because I'm um, the opposite. I was like always the first volunteer. Reading to myself, reading, you know, reading in my own head is fine. But I also realize how many times I double back over what I've read mm. um, because I'll read faster than I can speak it. Um, so I stumble over my words a lot, especially when I'm trying to read to someone or read out loud. I will say the wrong thing because my brain is already reading like three or four words ahead mm. kind of thing because I'm just so much faster at, you know, reading like that. I didn't mean for that to sound bragging, but it's just what happens. Talking about stumbling over your own words. Well, because I'm just so fast <laughs> at my reading that my that my my speaking just can't keep up. Sure, Jan. I'm not sure if that was a Jan from Office or Jan from the Brady Bunch. No, dig. Brady Bunch. It's always the Brady Bunch. Oh, okay. Jan, Jan, Jan. No, it's Marsha, 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 because Jan is the one who's always saying Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So let's pour some of this. Satisfying. Very satisfying sound. Great sound. This wine is very dark. Hmm. It is. It's almost inky, actually. Yeah, this is a really dark plum. Mm-hmm. You can only really see that it's like red if you look at it against the light. It's borderline purple. Um, like I mean, like it's it's like optically black almost. Yeah, you really can't see much of the color. No, um, not in a bad way. It's just you can like this is going to be it's going to be meaty, I think. Licorice? Mm. Um, I'm getting like a leather, a lot of leather, actually. Yeah, I got I got a lot of licorice and that's about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I find when there's like a licorice note for me, it really overpowers everything else. Yeah. Not, yeah. not a bad thing, but I feel like sometimes my nostrils get like a little overwhelmed yeah, by the yeah. initial licorice smell. Yeah. Well, that's a thing that happens to, to palates. Now that I'm smelling it again, I'm getting a lot more of the fruity notes on the second sniff. Mm. Um, it took my nose a while to adjust. It, the fruit is definitely in there. A little bit of chocolate too. Mm-hmm. I, like and getting like a like a a dry tea. Usually the um the the that sort of yeah there's tannins in there. Um, y- you know like a like a tea of course. Um, those are the tannins, but usually that doesn't come through in the in the odor or like the smell the bouquet. Bouquet is the word I was looking for. The proper. You know wine words. I know wine words sometimes. So, are you ready to are you ready to try it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Ooh. That is not what I expected. No, no, that's not what I was expecting at all. I get a lot of tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, really smooth. Yeah, it's not bitey. Um, it's like it's like tobacco wrapped up in dark chocolate. It's very dry. It is dry, but it's not harsh. It It's that kind of dry that makes your tongue kind of feel dry. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to... It's it's like tea. Mm-hmm. Um, just has that, that drying, heavy tannin flavor. Yep. Are you getting any chocolate notes? Because I am. Well, like I said, tobacco wrapped up in dark chocolate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm getting like it's nothing... pretty heavy. Nothing yeah. but dark chocolate on this one. I'm interested how it mellows. Mm-hmm. Or maybe how it decants because... This might have some flavors we're just not getting right yeah, now. Yeah, I imagine there's there's probably a little bit of like cherry in there somewhere that, that like I'm not quite getting because it's getting just overpowered by the the chocolatey tobacco. And oh, I actually just got the cherry. Yeah, did you get some? Third taste. Third taste. Mm, all right, let me go for a third one. This actually takes you on a bit of a quest. Yes. For flavor. This is this is very close to what I would describe as like art wine. And I think I may have used that term on the on the podcast before. Um, it's not, it is wine for the sake of wine. To um, enjoy the, the flavor, the taste. You, yeah, you don't, you don't drink this with something. You don't pair this with something. This is a, a in and of itself experience. It's art. Yes. For a reason. Yes. Because art wine. art yep. is meant to be experienced. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. meant to be paired with anything. It's just for the sheer amount of Observe, yep. observation and i i had a and the, the what really made me understand that expression or that term was i had a i had a music professor in college who used to refer to um various types of music as art music um and the basically what he was getting around to was like you wouldn't put this on the radio in your car you're not gonna like rock out to this you're not gonna like but it is there. It is there for a meaning. It is there to contribute to a conversation. Um, it is doing something. It's pushing some type of boundary. This is an expression of some sort that's not necessarily there to be a part of like a necessarily like it's not looking for mainstream acceptance or not to sound hoity, but like it's not. It's not looking. It's not. Try, it's not there to sell albums. It's not there to to sell. It, it is there entirely to contribute to conversation, like a greater narrative of what's occurring. 
Hmm. Who would you consider art music? He actually used that to refer to Radiohead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and like it, that was the, I, I have a confession. I hated Radiohead when I was younger. And I, I'm still, I still kind of don't really love them all that much. But he was the only, like the only person that I ever like really got me to like actually like enjoy them. And it was basically just kind of like his presentation of it that way that like it's not the kind of thing that you put on in, in your car. Like you, you're not going to you're not going to sing this on your way to a sporting event kind of thing. It's not. Tom York is kind of a performance piece. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever listened to any of his solo stuff? No, I can't say that I have. I used to be kind of into it. Yeah. Now I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was kind of that's kind of a. I don't know. That's kind of like a just a segment that weird like sort of like post grunge group that I kind of that, that was a that's a track to music that I didn't really follow. You know what I mean? I didn't kind of keep going down that that rabbit hole. Not to continue down the rabbit hole, mm. but who else would you consider in that category? I, I as soon as I said that, I was like I don't know that I can think of anyone else that I would consider in that category. Smashing Pumpkins got there definitely i went into a phase where i was like really obsessed with smashing pumpkins mm-hmm. but honestly billy corgan just ruins it for me yeah just yeah. based on who he is as a person yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like i i don't think i know enough about him personally i just yeah i know what you mean he seems much <laughs> like I think he's just like a professional asshole, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I don't know enough about him personally, but like from what I've, I've, the little bits and pieces that I've heard and seen, he sounds tiring. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. You know, and I think that's, that's kind of the category that I would put Radiohead in as well. But like, I, I, I at least like, I like them, but they are, they're definitely something that you, you put, you, you, you have to invest in. I feel like this wine just gets more and more interesting. Good art wine does that. It has like a lot of dimension mm-hmm. as it changes temperature. Yep. As it reacts with the oxygen, mm-hmm. it keeps adding layers mm-hmm. to your experience. Yep. Wow, I sound like a really highfalutin. No, wine no. Person. I um, I remember one of the first wines that I ever had that really did that. It was a. It was a. It was a Niagara Escarpment winery. It wasn't, I think it was called like Flat Rocks or Slant Rocks or something like that. Something, something rocks. And it was like the winemaker's like special reserve blend. And it was very similar to this. But I remember trying it and thinking like, there's nothing I can think of that this would pair with. And to try to pair it with a food would almost be insulting to the wine. Yeah. It needs to be enjoyed a lot. This is this is yeah because if you if you're eating something, it's going to to dilute all of the at least part of the dimension. We've talked a lot about wine, mm-hmm. our bad music opinions, and Radiohead. Mm-hmm. So should we move on to our discussion of the sort of destiny? I think so. I think so. And I, I will say we don't normally go that deep into like the discussion of the wine, but like. This one, I think, warranted some some good discussion. So I would definitely consider picking up another bottle of that. Just to experience it. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe age it a little bit, see how, see how it goes. But yeah, um, so anyways, on to our last round. Last call. On to our last call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the summary is just slightly off. 
another John Markism in there, I think. Um, but yeah, onto our onto our last call. So, uh, what was your overall impression of uh, sort of Destiny? I mean, that's a lot to ask and a lot to answer. Okay. Okay. Um, I like sort of Destiny a lot because it sets up um, a lot of the drama to come. Mm-hmm. And I also like it because it has some of the best short stories. The short stories are fantastic. Even the ones that don't connect to Mm -hmm. a plot are really good and help you develop a sense of who these people are. Um, Like A Little Sacrifice is definitely one of my favorite short stories Mm -hmm. in the Witcher universe just because... um, Essie Davin is not a character we ever see again. Oh, yeah. We only see her for a short amount of time, but she makes such an impression. And the dynamic between her and Geralt is very believable. And it mm-hmm. teaches us a lot about who Geralt is in this moment and who he is going into this relationship with Siri later. Yep. I mean, yep. he he is a person that has guarded himself and has put his walls up so high. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting to see who he is like pre Siri because yeah, yep. Siri definitely changes a lot of things for him. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I also love his introduction to Siri as this really pivotal relationship mm-hmm. that acts as the catalyst for the plot. Mm. There is so much that changes with the introduction of Siri, And I think Geralt realizes one of the reasons I think he's always running away from it is because once he accepts that Siri is his destiny, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And yep. humans don't like change. Even mutants don't like change. Yeah. He has only known the road and traveling for the longest time. He's been on this quest. Every witcher is on this path. Mm-hmm. Where does the path go? It doesn't go anywhere. It's just the fact that you keep traveling. Yep. So I really like Sword of Destiny because it really allows us to explore all these facets of Geralt's identity. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we get to explore a lot of the other characters, like innermost, like dimensions like yeah yeah we get to explore yennefer even in her being hurtful in um shard of ice Mm -hmm. we know that she is tormented by it um we get to know dandelion through essie like Mm -hmm. is he we know he's a philanderer this is the most dimension that i think i've seen in dandelion as a character probably in the entire series when we find out that essie has unfortunately died we learn that dandelion was there with her that dandelion was the one who buried her um and that's the only woman that he doesn't have a romantic relationship with. it's it's the first woman that we ever see dandelion not have a romantic at least an, a romantic pursuit of yeah and i think that's why this book is so great mm-hmm. um we know that it's not it wasn't initially designed to be a book we know that this is a lot of short stories that were pulled together yeah but i think this collection really works because there is a chronology to it mm-hmm. um it might not be completely linear yeah, it, it, it plays out very much like um, you always, you always talk about in like um, you always kind of loop a lot of things back to the X-Files. Um, and I don't mean that in any sort of derisive way. Um, I know it's your favorite TV show. But one of the things that you've kind of pointed out to me about the, about the X-Files, and it's one of those things that now that you've pointed it out to me in other things, I can't unsee it mm-hmm. when I see it. 
Um, it's that it's that format of having a monster of the week and then having like a, a mythology episode. So where like you have you have your 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 story you have your overarching storyline, which is your mythology, mm-hmm. um, and it's contributing to the greater narrative and pushing things forward. And then you have your individual like serialized bottle episodes that have a monster of the week that they're exploring and experiencing kind of thing. And this book very much follows that. There's there's other TV shows and things like that that do it. But like I said, now that now that you've pointed it out to me and things, I can't unsee it when I see it. And I've realized entirely how many different like properties and, you know, franchises franchise franchise is a good word for it yeah um how many franchises just like use that same that same sort of formula we were watching the mandalorian uh the other night and i realized i realized like it was uh season two episode one no spoilers don't worry there's no spoilers here for that but i realized i was like this is a monster of the week episode i was like there's no greater plot building here yeah um Mm -hmm. we're not moving forward on anything there's just a monster that they are killing. I think in a lot of ways, Monster of the Week is inspired by, like, you think about a sitcom. Every single mm-hmm. episode, for the most part, yes. exists in this vacuum. Yes, um, yes. For more or less, basically, the arc of every sitcom episode is there's a setup, there's a conflict, and there's a resolution. Yes. Yep. And at the end, everything, everything is exactly is where you put it. Reset. Yep. It wouldn't work if Raymond like was going through an existential crisis mm-hmm. like throughout the entire thing and unraveling. Yeah. Because then you don't feel good about watching Raymond. Well, yeah, and so like I think I think it it does it it has kind of that perfect balance of the two. TV viewers really really like everything to be compartmentalized, handed to you in a neat tidy package, and they they like the idea that these characters are then kind of right back where where they were when they started it it makes for a very comfortable and pleasant and and reliable viewing experience um Mm -hmm. if you're looking for some some sort of you know relaxation from reality kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but having a overarching plot interspersed allows for a long-running overarching drama um, so that the characters don't feel stagnant because part of the reason that like a, the, the allure of a sitcom wears off is that eventually you do get tired of like, so every, you know, Ray Barone gets sick and tired of his mother and, you know, his mother constantly walking in over the plate. The idea would be then, oh, well, they decide to move one day. Yeah, and then and, you and don't then, have your situation comedy anymore yes. because he's moved away. <laughs> but and... but what the but the audience could be invested in what the new conflict of that would be. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a really great writing strategy, or like I guess you know, yeah, writing strategy for having your cake and eating it too. Um, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I would argue that Monster of the Week, though it doesn't necessarily add to the plot or the development, mm. actually adds a lot to character development. Yes, yes. Um, because we find out a lot about Geralt, even though it's not working toward this like greater mm-hmm. arc right now, at least. Yep. Um, we learn a lot about how he reacts to situations. Mm-hmm. We learn about how he views relationships and how he views himself, mm-hmm. most importantly. Um, and that really guides how we view him throughout the course of the saga. 
yeah which will be entirely plot focused absolutely and there's still a lot of things that you can do with like a, a monster of the week type episode um, because when you're when you're going through the, the storylines, you're still experiencing them with the characters. Um, as a result, you're becoming more invested in the characters because you're 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 identifying with them more. You're imparting yourself onto them more. So you can still do character development. Um, it's still bonding with the characters. Um, there's still world building that's happening. Like I said, there's it. They're never. It's never like wasted storyline. You know what I mean. What is your favorite short story from this? Ooh, favorite short story from this. Hmm. I, I really think I'm going to have to give it to the Golden Dragon. So, um, Bounds of Reason? Yeah, Bounds of Reason. That's the one. Okay. Yep. I think that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. I think mine is A Little Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Just because it deals with a lot of heady issues mm-hmm. and it really informs how we view Geralt yeah, in yep. the future. Um, and I do like seeing this new dimension to Dandelion as well. Yep. Yep. That was, that was something that like, I, I, this is like, this book has like kind of framed Dandelion for me. Hmm. Um, and I, I've ended up kind of like bonding with him as a character in a little bit, in a little bit. Um, and I didn't expect to do that nearly as much as, as I did um, because I, I definitely feel more, I, I feel more, I don't want to say attachment, but like I feel. You feel more invested in his character. Yeah, I feel more invested in it. I think it's more, I, I feel like he's more fleshed out as a character because one note characters like Dandelion in the games kind of get tiring after a while. Um, you look at the, like the trope of like the lovable bastard, um, and, or, you know, the, the philandering bastard. Um, and it's this idea that the, the, it's a trope of like a character that's either constantly like a womanizer or constantly is abrasive to all of the other characters, et cetera, et cetera. Those characters get very old very quickly when there's only one dimension to them. Dandelion in the video games is very one-dimensional at least he feels it to me i see you you kind of shaking your head and nodding over there no i'm just i'm laughing because i think his voice acting is what does it for me i mean i don't think his like plot is good the either. voice acting is really literally what kill it, it's the thing that pushes it over the edge for me but like his like i I've, I've been trying to think of like other reasons why i don't like him and there there are other reasons and one of them being that like his character is very in the video game is very much like one dimensional. Okay. We get it. He's a womanizer. Okay. And he sometimes writes stories for Geralt that we don't actually see or hear in the game. Now that I think about it, he's supposed to be the narrator that you hear like at the beginning of scene. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of confusing because like it's an old man voice. Because yeah. he's supposed to be older when he's telling this stuff. But it's not even close to it's, this no. similar... Like, it's not even a similar sounding voice actor. So the only way you know it is because they, they tell you. It's unfortunate because their voice acting is spot on in the rest of The Witcher 3. Yes. Like, <laughs> everyone else is great. Everybody's I mean, great. I love Yennefer. Like, her voice actress is great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Geralt's voice actor is great, even though I know that he didn't really have a lot to work with with Witcher 1 and Witcher 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Geralt, Geralt is not a super dialogue-heavy character, so... You know, Geralt, it's your silence that He's... I miss the most. <laughs> Wind's howling. <laughs> Quoting Yennefer there from yeah. something more. <laughs> Geralt, we're at a wedding. Oh, man. There's so many good memes about that. Or wait, was it a funeral? No, we're at a funeral. Geralt, we're at a funeral. I would say a close second for me is a shard of ice. I mm-hmm. know it's painful, but there, it's like, it's art in a mm-hmm. way because like, well, all literature is art. Mm. But I think that um, it's like a beautiful train wreck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, it's interesting. It's just as interesting for me to watch a story about how two people get together mm-hmm. as two people break apart. Like yeah, what yep. are the forces that cause them to break apart, especially when they seem so well suited, especially when they seem to be such a great match. Yeah. Yep. And so this idea of hurting someone, um, even though you don't want to, even though you don't intend to, you end up hurting them just in the process of your own hurt and trauma. Mm-hmm. Like that is a compelling story to me. Yeah. Yes. And I did actually like feel like we got to know their relationship so much because of that incident. Yes. And I, I feel like I feel like the those are that's compelling because that's a very human and relatable motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody ever goes out. I, I, I posit that almost nobody ever actually goes out and wakes up every morning and says, I'm going to hurt people today. No. I, I'm I'm not saying there's not people out there that do that, but for the majority of majority of people want to be the good guy. They want to be the hero in their own narrative. And sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes living by their own code, their own values ends up hurting other people. And oftentimes there's no intent of hurting other people, but it people still get hurt. Um, and so when you see that in, you see that represented, that's something, that's something I think everybody at some point in their life has done. Um, and so as a result, yeah, like I, you feel, you kind of feel for Yennefer a little bit in this, especially when we learn a little bit more about, um, Astrid, Eastrid, Eastrid, Eastrid or Val. Okay. She calls him Val. Oh, okay. Oh. And that, that is name. one of the big conflicts is that Geralt has a nickname for her and Eastred also has a nickname mm-hmm. for her. Um, Geralt calls her Yen and he calls her Yenna. Yeah. Yep. Um, I find this really fascinating because like you said, it's a very common experience. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has hurt someone, even if it's in a small way, mm-hmm. like that's just sort of the human experience. Um, And hopefully we own up to those mistakes and we move on. Unfortunately, Yennefer isn't really there and Mm -hmm. Geralt and Yennefer don't have the communication or like the honesty to sort of talk about it. So really the only thing you can do in that situation is break apart. And I think Yennefer realized that. Yeah. But it's like, it's such like beautiful sadness um, and I think that's why I enjoy that story so much. Yeah. Yep. It, it's a very, it, it's a very hard and harsh story, but yeah, it has that, that, yeah, that sort of tart sadness that that's kind of fun 
when you're not when you're not the one experiencing it, it makes personally you feel things yeah like, yeah, I, yeah i don't take delight in it it's just that like it makes you feel things yeah it makes yeah. you feel like it's evocative is is i think a better word for it but yeah and it's really interesting because i've been trying to examine myself and like okay why do you ship certain couples like mm-hmm. what makes someone ship a couple mm-hmm. in the first place mm-hmm. it's such a weird situation I don't know what it is about Jennifer and Geralt, but I don't think there's really any other like pairing that works for me, um, even though they hurt each other constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because they come from these similar backgrounds and they yep. just can't get it together. Like, yes. And you want them to. You root for them, but they, they just can't. I think at their very core, they understand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's a very big part of, of a good relationship. Um, I love is, the pining too. I love mm-hmm. the periods of just not being together and thinking about each other a lot, yeah, even yep. though you'd never admit to it. Yep. Um, I think that really contributes to it as well, mm-hmm. but I do, it's like sad to see them break apart, but you're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 you need to. Yeah. And it's funny because like any other situation, I'd be like, oh, like she cheated on you. Like, forget about her. Mm-hmm. It's never going to change. But with them, I'm like, maybe it will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so one of the other things, too, and um, one of the things I'm kind of hoping that they'll examine a little bit more, maybe in some of the later books, is um, the fact that, that both of them have that sort of unnaturally long lifespan. Enough time could pass that they might you know that that like they we saw this play out in um you and i watched uh the at least the first season of altered carbon last year was that only last year i think it was two years ago okay i was gonna say it felt like it was like four or five years ago at this point but time is a flat circle that like part of like you have these characters that live for literal centuries and you see this a little bit actually in fantasy too with like races that live to be very, very old. Like elves. Like elves are usually the one that they play with on that. Um, that they kind of become unfettered by the emotional attachments of just physical expressions of uh, of lust and desire um, for lack of, for using excessively flowery language. Basically that like they kind of get to a point where like they care more about the very long arcing storyline of them being together more than they care about like a few individual incidences of like uh, fleeting infidelity kind of thing, which I don't necessarily think is a realistic depiction, but I've always thought it was an, I've always thought it was an interesting take at least. And I, th- I thought that might be something that might come into play here. I think that, is something that is explored Mm -hmm. um like what what does that relationship look like when they're not really like mortal in the traditional sense of the word Mm -hmm. um i mean they are they can die but it's very unlikely and they have a longer lifespan yeah um so it is explored and not just with yennefer and gerald Mm -hmm. There are a lot of characters in the Witcher universe that have unnaturally long lifespans. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of sorcerers, sorceresses. Um, there are a lot of elf characters. So mm-hmm. that is a recurrent theme. Okay. Okay. And 
to top it all off, we have a lot of play with time. Yes. Um, yep. And because of that, I thought there might this might come in a little bit as well. It's a bit ironic. I heard a lot of people who had watched the TV show didn't like the chronology jumps of it. But in fact, that is part of the tissue of the Witcher it, That's universe. very much, it's there. Like, that's part of it. Like, it definitely comes into play later. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to spoil anything because it's okay. too good to spoil. And I like getting your, like, honest reaction yeah, to yeah, everything. Yeah. That's part of what makes this fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind in the Witcher universe, probably like our own. Look, I don't know much about time travel, but I like to believe that time is not really linear time is not really linear mm-hmm. like time is i think that it's a lot less we're experiencing it in a way that's linear but that doesn't mean that's how it really happens yeah yep. um in the witcher universe it's described as a snake eating its own tail hmm. i always like that metaphor and it's something that like i think about a lot um when i'm consuming especially now that I'm going back and reading everything again, Mm -hmm. because I have time to like pour over it with more context. Yeah. Yep. Um, but playing with time and playing with like, um, sort of these like long lifespans is something that future books definitely do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, that's definitely something that other series have, have brought into play is when you have these, these characters or creatures with, very very long lifespans uh, one of the one of a, a good example and i think i've talked about them a lot and this is is the ents in lord of the rings and i won't go too much into detail because at, at some point i really would like to do lord of the rings um the lord of the rings series hobbit and the trilogy on the on the podcast they are they are basically tree creatures that live for actual eons you know, thousands and thousands of years kind of thing. Um, and as a result, they don't really, they're not troubled by the, the inter interplays and conflicts between humans, because to them, humans are only, you know, around for, you know, a, a blink of an eye kind of thing. Um, it would be mm-hmm. like us caring about, you know, the, the, the actual like interplay and world uh, diplomacy of, you know, mayflies. Um, something that's only alive for, you know, 48 hours kind of thing. Why would we care if there's an entire nation of mayflies that are rising up to kill these other mayflies? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think it's interesting the dynamics between elves and humans, mm-hmm. um, which is a major dynamic that's explored. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the elves, because they have these long lifespans, um, really look down on the humans, not just because of, their longevity but just because they view themselves as superior even Mm -hmm. though they've been banished basically to the the hills and wherever else elves hang out but i really enjoy the elves commentary on Mm -hmm. human conflicts because it's very interesting because they they are both a part of it and not a part of it. Yeah, they're yep. only a part of it because they're dragged into it because they have to live on the same continent and that's that's ultimately that's a okay so that's ultimately what bring what drags the ents into into the con, into the conflict of humans is that they they are a part of it um that you know 
the forest of Isengard gets chopped down basically and and everyone's taken they take it as a very large affront one of the one of the things that that is a very big concept in ecology is the idea that no no organism is an island um, that what happens to one affects the other um, there's an idea uh, there's an idea called the trophic cascade um, which is where um, the, the best example of this would be uh, the fact that wolves were hunted almost to extinction um, in Yellowstone National Park. Mm-hmm. Um, it was either wolves or coyotes. Well, one of them, uh, wolves we'll go with, um, were hunted uh, to extinction in Yellowstone National Park. Um, because the wolves were hunted to extinction, deer became very heavily overpopulated for 20, 30 years or so to, to the point where they were actually almost starving to death because there wasn't enough grass for them to graze on. Um, the overabundance of deer in turn caused a mass munching uh, of all of is that a scientific th- term? that is the scientific and technical term um, of all of the grasses within Yellowstone National Park. One of the key one of the key factors in preventing um, creek bed erosion is retaining grass roots. Mm-hmm. So you have you have all these grasses that are that are that grow within. Um, that grow within the banks of rivers and streams and things like that that actually hold the hold the, the river and, and creeks walls in place to where they are. Um, it's what keeps the, the, the rivers and creeks from eroding more of the of the of the surrounding landscape. Without a good strong grass bed to keep that those those beds in place, the rivers and streams then just erode everything and half of the landscape just washes downstream. This was all done because coyotes or wolves were hunted to extinction. Mm-hmm. This is a third, third and fourth level interplay of the ecology of the, of the system around it. So the idea being that like these creatures are, very much intertwined these creatures and organisms and people everything is connected even in ways that we can't necessarily immediately see and understand i said all that to say (laughs) that these are the things that ultimately end up getting the very long-lifed organisms and creatures involved in you know in in the dynamics i want to talk about siri because Mm -hmm. that is a character we will be talking about again and again, mm-hmm. um, the central driving force of our plot. Um, we've asked, a, I've asked a lot about like this father daughter dynamic, but I want to turn to um, what do you think of Siri's identity as this chosen one, mm-hmm. um, as the child of the elder blood, um, as someone who is poised to do something great and in the process is being sought out as like almost a pawn. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, and we'll see this in coming books, everybody sort of wants a piece of her. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I just love this like chosen one dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's something we see in a lot of franchises. So what, what do you have to say about it? Okay, first off, I don't want to steal your thunder on it because I want you to... 
I want you to bring up your revelation that you that you came to uh, <laughs> over in the, in the last the, the last week or two. So so go ahead and get it out. Oh, don't make me. I'm gonna make you. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, the Mandalorian is The Witcher. Yes, yes, it is. And the more you watch it, the more you see it. It's it, it is like really uncanny. You have like a strong, silent, badass anti-hero paired with a defenseless, chosen one, orphan thing. The it's child. there. Like it's it's literally like it's there. Like and you can't unsee it once you see it. It's not bad. Like it doesn't ruin anything to ha- to know that. But like, it, it, yeah, it, it's it, they're the same. They're the same franchises. If you swap a couple of details. Same plot. Same, same. <laughs> pretty much. Um, considering that um, the Mandalorian and the Star Wars universe are set in this kind of Western-ish, mm-hmm. yep. um, like, used future sort of setting, mm-hmm. um, I think that sort of um, makes a mercenary sort of in the vein mm-hmm. of, like, a Han Solo, yep. a lone yep. operator. Like, I think it, make, I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever you're able to pair a really rough around the edges, like mm-hmm. loner mm-hmm. Um, from perhaps a warrior sect mm-hmm. that has special medallions made. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to be a lot of them around. They're known for their battle prowess. They have specialness about them that they're either very skilled in combat or use special abilities that many other people don't know how to use or their secrets are kept to them only kind of thing. And they vanquish creatures and mm-hmm. all other things mm-hmm. that man can't. And one of them comes in contact with a chosen one and becomes very attached to it. Doesn't sound familiar to me. Not at all familiar. Nope. Nope. I Like I said, not complaining because both series are fantastic and they do stand up on their own, but it is... It's it's like looking. It's like having, having been having drank nothing but coke for the past like six months to a year, and then you you find a can of Pepsi, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, this is almost the same thing, but I still like it. <laughs> which is Coke and which is Pepsi, though? I, I mean, I'm not gonna say because I know there's people who have preference, et cetera, et cetera, and. The Witcher is Coke, god damn it. Well, okay, so if you were to ask me to like say which one is better, The Mandalorian or The Witcher, I I couldn't tell you which one was better. Um mostly because I mean, well, I, I think that there's there's a much deeper story arc in in The Witcher right now. There might be more in The Mandalorian coming. Um they both stand on their own. Like they're both fantastic. I, I would highly recommend both of them. But there is no Yennefer as of yet. There so. is no Yennefer as of yet. Um, but Mandalorian does have the one girl there. Like I said, we're we're going to try and stay away from uh, serious spoilers. But <clears throat> okay, so bringing it back around to Siri is the chosen one. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that dynamic and how it perhaps will influence the plot moving forward? I think Geralt is going to I my predictions and I'm going to kind of loop this into my predictions a little bit is that Geralt is going to try and protect her in the only ways that he knows how but because this is something that he's never done before I think he's going there's going to be a lot of failure 
on his part. Um, maybe not a lot of failure, but there's going to be enough failure to create good conflict that we're going to w- be interested in seeing. So, like, I think there's going to be, yeah, he's going to go f- for, like, a training sequence kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. I think he's going to try and, like, hide Siri amongst the witchers, um, the few of them that are left. I, I think that's kind of a, a known thing already. But I think there's something, something's going to happen that she's going to get revealed to the people who are after her. And Geralt's attempts to hide her are not going to be sufficient. They're going to have to go on the road again, um, pack up the band and keep touring kind of thing. So Interesting. Yep. You bring up the word failure, mm-hmm. and I think that's apt. Yeah. Um, not going into any detail okay. about what's coming. Okay. However, keep in mind that Geralt's a very imperfect person. Okay. And keep in mind also that even though his biggest desire is to protect Siri, mm-hmm. Siri is the most important relationship he's ever had, and I put that above Yennefer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think he does too. Because this is a child that's been linked to him through destiny. And that is a huge bond. And Mm -hmm. further than that, whether it's by some sort of powers of destiny or whether Mm -hmm. it's just because they bond so heavily, they have this immediate connection. Mm -hmm. Failure is apt though, because Mm -hmm. along the way, like Geralt is only able to do what he knows. Yeah. Yep. And that will be a factor in all of the books to come. Okay. So definitely, I think you're spot on yeah. in that respect. I, I think, and I think a lot of it will kind of come down to a sort of the idea of that when you're a hammer, all of your problems look like nails, um, which I anybody that knows me knows that I love that phrase because it, it is a good, it is good at define at explaining like perspective, um, and we bring our own experiences and our own uh, perspectives to everything we encounter. Um, so Geralt just does what he knows and I'm assuming that that's probably not going to work like (laughs) there's a lot of learning experiences Mm -hmm. for sure one thing Geralt is good at is learning though so he is good at learning Um, he does doing the learn good I do love the character development and future stories Mm -hmm. you're definitely going to continue seeing that okay okay I think overall the theme of this is just you can't run away from destiny. Yeah, yeah. I I think like if you kind of take out some of the like stories that are monster of the weeks or capsules, Mm -hmm. it's all about like you can't necessarily avoid the path that you're going to go down. Like Mm -hmm. this is a path that you have to walk. The only way out is through, you know, you have to follow it. The way out is the way on. Yes. Destiny is very much a force, whether it's some sort of magical entity or not. Um, Things are going to play out in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, And you kind of have to see it. You kind of have to experience it. And I think that's what Geralt is so in denial of. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is hard to realize that you don't control everything. Mm hmm. Um, destiny is definitely a force and I think that he's very scared of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's something he admits towards the end when it comes to something more. Mm -hmm. There are so many good scenes in that. Um, if you haven't listened to our last episode about something more, I definitely Mm -hmm. encourage you to do so. Highly recommend. It's such a good good chapter. Um, it was a good episode. It's a good episode too. Um, You said it was a good chapter. 
Well, it's a good chapter and a good episode. So we did a good episode, okay? Well, thank you. Thank you for the you're welcome. I guess you're also complimenting yourself. So yes, I am. (laughs) As I pat myself on my own back. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) what I was saying was that um, at the end of something more. Um, not the very end, but one of the conversations or hallucinations that Geralt has is that he comes face to face with death Mm -hmm. or his idea of death. And he says, like, you've dogged my footsteps, but I'm not afraid anymore. I'm Mm -hmm. ready to die. And she says, like, it's not your time yet. Yep. But like just facing the truth Mm -hmm. is hard to do sometimes. Yeah. And that's what Geralt has done over the course of this book is that he runs away, runs away. And finally, he has no choice but to accept it. Yep, yep. And acceptance is the last stage. It, it is. <laughs> it is the last stage of grief. <laughs> yes. Um, We've seen him go through the Kubler-Ross yep. stages of grief, right? Yep. Or have we? Can we go through them? Um, okay, so denial. Bar- Definitely seen denial. <laughs> bargaining. Um, anger. And I think acceptance. I think he's done all of those. What, what stage is like crying into a tub of Haagen-Dazs? Because I've spent a lot of time in that stage. I think that he experienced all of these things. And now he has no choice but to accept and move on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's moving on with his new daughter, Siri. New daughter. Yay. <laughs> I mean, he well, I was, have an old daughter I was going to say that that joke only is only funny if they had an old daughter. But yeah. So what are you looking forward to in the next book, which is the first book of our Witcher saga? Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I can't avoid raising my voice for this because... Well, I mean, go ahead. We're yeah. moving into Blood of Elves! It sounds really gruesome, actually, when I say it like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... Just some light it's not, it's not referring... Well, it might be referring... Oh, God, it's a play on words, isn't it? Oh, it is. Oh, it's a play on words. I just realized that. The fact that you're looking away and drinking, I think. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, well, we'll, we'll expect some, some heavy, heavy chapters to come, I guess. Just some light genocide. <laughs> I may have committed some light treason. <laughs> <sighs> okay. What are you expecting? Well, now, um, now apparently no, elf genocide. <laughs> I'm not really necessarily even just talking about blood of elves. Mm, okay. But it is like a dual meaning. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more than two meanings. A lot of meanings. Whatever. Don't think about it <laughs> do, too much. Does do, do Siri have like uh, a, a bloodborne condition? Well, she actually does have the blood of elves. Well, yeah. Oh, does she have like an actual like vial of it? Oh, that she like wears around her neck and uses it to feed her little no. pet vampire. No, okay. She's okay. not Angelina Jolie in nineteen ninety nine or anything. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh wow. What are you excited for in the <laughs> next <laughs> book, John? What am I excited for in the next book? Um I'm excited for Yen to meet Siri. Um I'm thinking I'm thinking that she's gonna do that in the next book. I'm very, I, and I think I've said this before, but I'm very excited to see how Siri handles the training. Because we know, we know Witcher training is happening. That's going to, because Geralt does what he knows. Witcher's going to Witcher. We should, we should put that on a t-shirt. Witcher's going to Witcher. <laughs> uh, 
And I think I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how she's going to handle training because I think, I think her elven genealogy will, will play a factor into like the mutations and things. I also suspect everyone's going to be like, Oh, she can't handle the trials of the grasses because she's just a girl who was also an elf. And um, that that's definitely not a thing that can be done. And I can guarantee she's gonna like grab the grab the potions and be like, "Hold my drink." Interesting prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a while since I read Blood of Elves. Mm-hmm. I started this journey of reading Witcher books like way back in July. Can you believe it? All seven hundred years ago in July. Feels like forever ago. It, it does. Um, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking forward to revisiting it mm-hmm. um, with a more attentive eye. Mm-hmm. It's always like interesting once you know like what happens later to go back and read the early chapters. Yep. Yep. Anse definitely had this mapped out because there are so many hints along the way about yeah. what's coming. And I love that about it. Okay. Is that there, there is like a little treat for people who go back and read it again. Hmm. Um, so it's definitely like giving me like new context and new like understanding mm-hmm. of the chapter. So I'm excited. Awesome. Well, 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 I think the fire is getting a little low. Ha! <laughs> I beat you, you to it. Kind of beat me to like the catchphrase that we say at the end of the show, as if it's your catchphrase. It was my catchphrase, though. It's our catchphrase. I mean, it's everything's ours. All right, go say it. It looks like the fire is getting a little low. And I think it's about time to time to get going. Time to be on the old dusty trail. We'll um, be back next week. Um, mm-hmm. There might be a palate cleanser in there, mm-hmm. but regardless, we're going to be back with a new episode. Yep. Yeah, we might um, have a we might have a, a guest on next week as well, but we'll see how that plays out. So. Until then, I'm John Mark. And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night.